today to the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And uh, Brother Mike, you will not be hearing Brother Mike's sermon today that's printed in the bulletin. Uh, I got a call, a, kind of a panic call this, this morning about 7.20. I want to know if I could bring the messages today. And I remember that passage over in uh, 2 Timothy where Paul said we ought to be instant in season and out of season. And we ought to be always ready to give an account uh, of the hope that's in us. And so uh, I felt like I needed to do that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter uh, 9 in the book of Acts. We're going to read the first 16 verses. And, uh, and let us stand together in honor of reading of God's Word. Unfortunately, it won't be on the screen today, so you'll have to listen as I read. Chapter 9. <clears throat> and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shone round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembled and, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it will be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and with his eyes were open, he saw no man, but he led them by but they led him by the hand and brought him unto Damascus. He was there three days without sight, neither did he eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire uh, in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish. For behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen a vision, and a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You may be seated. You know, as I think about uh, this story, it's one of the, I would say, probably one of the uh, greatest miracles in the New Testament. Uh, probably apart from uh, the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, uh, it would probably be ranked third of the greatest miracles in the New Testament. But I want you to see some things here in this story today 
that might help us to put our lives into perspectives. You see, uh, uh, Saul always knew that he was number two. I asked the other service, uh, who was number one football team in America now? Anybody know that? Baltimore Ravens. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, okay, Baltimore Ravens. College football, who is, the, who is the number one team? Alabama. Who's number two? Who cares? <laughs> you see, number two doesn't get a very good spot, does it? Number two, but, but number two is always a good number when we stand before the Lord because we're not number one, we're number two or number three, or number four, way down the line. Uh, and the Apostle Paul, that became the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, always knew that he was playing second fiddle to the Lord. And he realized that, and I think that's the reason why he made a tremendous impact on the, on the, the Christian uh, message as it went around the world. Uh, not only is he a great influence a, a Christian character, but he stands alone as far as his preparation to be who he was. And so uh, I want us to see some things about that. First of all, I want us to notice that uh, uh, when we come to proclaiming a Christianity around the world, there needed to be someone who had a tremendous opportunity to bring the, uh, the Word of God, the Old Testament, and the New Testament together. The Apostle Paul was that man. For you see, well, he was a man who was steeped in the law. He was educated. He was a Jew of the Jews. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he knew the law backwards and forwards. But he also knew about Gentile life. For you see, the Bible says he was Saul of Tarsus. Now, if I can help you envision just a little bit, where this is, if you think about my right hand as being Palestine, this is the Mediterranean Sea, and this is Turkey, uh, Asia Minor, as is recalled in the New Testament. And right in here is Saul of Tarsus, just on the, where uh, uh, Palestine joins into Asia Minor, you find Saul of Tarsus. Now, Saul was very familiar with a Gentile life. He had lived in that area all of his life. Had probably come to Jerusalem to study under the great Rabbi Gamaliel. And he knew uh, what it meant to live in a Gentile world. And so God began to cultivate him and, and work with him to bring him to a place where he could affect the lives of literally millions of people. For he was well prepared. We first of all look at his heritage. He was a Jew. He knew the law. He was well-educated. He was a student of Gamaliel. And so he was well-educated to bring, to bridge the gap between Judaism and Christianity. Uh, he not only was a Jew that knew the law, but he was of the right lineage. Uh, he says he's a child of Abraham. Now, if you were to... Uh, know how important that is? You had to be a descendant of Abraham for anyone in the Jewish world to listen to you. Uh, no matter who you were, uh, you had to be a descendant of Abraham. He was that. Uh, he also was familiar with the Gentile world, as I mentioned a moment ago. Uh, he was a Roman citizen. 
And in Acts chapter 16, how, how important role that played in his life. Because when he appealed to Caesar, he was able to carry the message all the way to Rome because he was a Roman citizen. But another thing that uh, God was preparing him for is because he was a very zealous man. The Bible says he hated those who were of the way. Now we have to understand that when uh, we're talking about followers of Jesus Christ, they were called the people of the way. And so he, was, he had a tremendous hatred for those kind of people. And so he was going to Damascus for the express purpose of bringing those people bound back to Jerusalem and putting them on trial and possibly putting them to death. You say, well, how can you make that leap? Well, just a chapter or two before that, when they stoned Stephen to death, the young man that was holding his clothes was Saul of Tarsus. So he'd already been guilty of being an accessory to murder. He'd already been a part of that great movement that was trying to stamp out Christianity. So he was well capable of doing exactly what I proclaimed that he would do. And so you see, he, had, he was well prepared because God was cultivating him for the express purpose of carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we see in this story his conversion. In verses 3 through 6, we see his conversion. Uh, when he was on the road to Damascus, all of a sudden God shone his light upon him. And he fell to the earth because in the presence of God, then that's what we need to do. That's what we must do because we're always a created being. And so we fell, he fell to the earth and he cried out, uh, Lord, Lord, who are you? Notice Jesus didn't hesitate to give him an answer. He says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. You see, uh, on the road to Damascus, he met the only person that could literally change his life. Now, I know we hear people talking about, you know, this guy was a great influence on my life. This guy did so much for me. The only person that can change your life is the Lord Jesus. And if, the sooner we recognize that, the better off we'll be. We try to live our life many times without him. And we come in the, in the final analysis, we realize that he is the only one that could literally change our lives. So his conversion was dramatic. It was strange. But let me caution you today that even though his conversion was strange, we must not try, put that conversion experience in a box. Now, a lot of people say, well, Brother Paul, I don't, I don't have that dramatic experience. I grew up in the church. When I was seven years old, they'll say, I, I came to know Christ. I, I wasn't on the road to Damascus. I didn't have anybody strike me down. Let me remind you of something. It takes just as much of a miracle to change that little uh, preschooler and, and ch uh, ch child's life as it does to, to change Saul of Tarsus. The miracle is the same. It's just that the experience is a little bit different. And for Paul, it had to be a dramatic change. It had to be a strange change. And I wonder why it happened so instantaneously with Paul. I have a theory. And I want you to, tell, I want you to know it's just a theory. I have a theory that when he was holding the clothes of that young uh, believer named Stephen, and Stephen was preaching a sermon to those that were putting him to death, 
I believe that the words of Stephen was stuck in the mind of Saul of Tarsus. And he heard every word over and over again that Stephen had proclaimed on that day that he died. And I believe when that light hit oh, Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus, that he remembered those words and the message that he'd heard from the lips of Stephen. And it made an impact on his life, and he knew exactly who he was fighting against. He was fighting against the Lord Jesus. And so his, even though his conversion was strange and dramatic, all conversions have, do not have to be that way. I remember that when I was, uh, I grew up in the church. I tell everybody I started church nine months before I was born because my parents took me to church every day, every Sunday, every, uh, every time we had church. Revival was an all-week, two-week uh, event. So I was at church all the time. But I heard the gospel over and over and over again. You know, strangely enough, even though my father was the music director, I always thought the gospel was for everybody else. Not for me, but everybody else. And I was 15 years old when I came to know the Lord. All of my friends that I had grown up with had been baptized and joined the church, and, and they were active in the church. I was not. But all of a sudden, the light came on. And when the light comes on, we've got to do something about it. So my conversion experience was not like Saul of Tarsus, but it was not like growing up in the church and accepting Christ at seven years of age. I was 15. I knew exactly what I was doing. I remember when the Lord called me to preach that we were in a, a revival-type service, and I went down and, and, and told the uh, pastor that was standing at the front that the Lord had called me to preach. Now, you may not know anything about my background. My, my father was choir director of church 44 years, same church. Everybody in the whole country thought that I would step into his shoes and succeed him as the minister of music. And I, uh, when I came down and told him my Lord called me to preach, I, I got real encouraging words. Are you sure? <laughs> when I called my pastor, I said, Brother Nix, God has called me to preach, and I'm going to get myself prepared to preach. And he said, Paul, you're crazy. Everybody knows you've been called to lead music. I said, well, somebody should have told God. Because he's the one that called me. Now, all of our experiences are different. Every one of our experiences. If I ask you to stand up today and tell me how you came to know the Lord, it would be entirely different from somebody over here. But we try to put God in a box, and we can't do it. He works in his own mysterious ways. The poet says his wonders to perform. You see, God works in different ways, but the results is always the same. It's a changed life. It's a born-again experience. We can't stereotype the process of salvation. I remember reading several years ago as I was doing some, just some uh, pleasure reading about Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley, who ultimately went on to found the Methodist Church, came to Georgia as a missionary and served here in, in Georgia. I'm talking about Georgia. Georgia, Georgia. Bulldog, Georgia. And on the way, on the way back uh, to England on the boat. 
he met some Moravian missionaries that had an experience with the Lord, and they were rejoicing and praising God even in the midst of a, a storm. And he realized that he didn't have what they had. And he went back to England, and as the story goes, one day, one day on the way to church, he stopped at a little church called Aldersgate. That's why you see all the Methodist church named Aldersgate. Stopped a little Methodist church, and he realized that he had not had a true experience with the Lord Jesus, and his life was changed. He was a missionary before he was saved, and this guy was a murderer, and he became a missionary. So we can't put God in the box. God does things differently. I, I, I remember reading some time ago about uh, two men riding on a train. One of them was named uh, Robert Ingersoll. And the other one was named General Lou Wallace. And as they be began to talk, uh, Robert Ingersoll challenged Lou Wallace, who was a writer, said to him, why don't you look at the New Testament and prove that document wrong? And challenged him that he might write a rebuttal to the New Testament. Dr. Lou Wallace began to read the New Testament. And you know what happened. You see, when you read the Word of God and try to uh, seek out what God's saying to you, something happens to you. General Lew Wallace became a believer. And he continued to write, but not a, a challenge of the New Testament. He wrote a material that, like, that became a very famous movie called Ben-Hur. All of you remember that chariot scene where they're racing around the arena? That was General Lew Wallace, the atheist, who read the New Testament and became a believer. Uh, the greatest story ever told came from the pens, pen of this man who once was like Saul of Tarsus. Uh, you, you'd better not challenge God. I can tell you he'll always win. I had my life all planned out, and then all of a sudden God said, that ain't what I want you to do. And so I'm doing what I'm doing because God made a difference in my life. And then there is the confirmation of that call. We see in verses uh, 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 7 through 19, uh, that confirmation. Uh, he said, uh, said to Saul, you, you go down to the city and, and, and they'll tell you what to do. And then he went over to Ananias. He said, Ananias, I want you to go over and talk to this guy and tell him uh, some things that I'm going to tell you. I'm going to show you in this vision. And Ananias, like most of us, said, wait, wait, wait a minute, God. I heard about this guy. He's a, he's a rough dude. I've heard about what he's been doing down in Jerusalem, and, and you want me to go over there and talk to him? And you just see, when God calls us to do something, he clears out all the obstacles so we may be able to do it. So he goes over and lays his hand on Saul of Tarsus. And I'm amazed when I read that. When I read that, he says, Now, Brother Saul, how did he know Saul had come to know the Lord? I think he saw it in that vision. I think God showed him in that vision what he had done to set Saul of Tarsus aside because he told him, that he was going to show him great things that he would have to suffer for his namesake. There's the confirmation of the call. Uh, the call was to serve God, 
to be a witness. The Apostle Paul had said in Acts 22, 15, that's exactly what God called him to do. And reflecting back on that, he said, God called me to serve him. And, 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 and to turn people away from the, uh, of the falsity of life to the truth of God, uh, Acts 26, 18. That would be like God telling us to go to Africa or the ghetto of New York City or, or Peru or wherever we're going because he, well, he's got something in store for us. I remember that 1983 that I had an opportunity to go to the Philippines. I went there for a month. The first little church I went out to, to preach at was a, just a little old hut uh, setting up on poles with a grass thatched roof and and didn't have any sides on it. Just a little, what we call knee, knee sides, about, about this tall. And it would probably help 50 people maximum if they'd have been sitting real close together. And that Sunday morning when I got up to preach, they were, that church was packed out. There were people standing around looking through those open places. There was probably 150, 200 people there around that little building. And as I preached and gave the invitation, they began to come. And those outside were being saved. They were coming in. We couldn't even, people had to get up and go out of their seats, get out of the, police, out of, out of the church so they could uh, be down front and the pastor could talk to them about their relationship with the Lord. In two weeks, I baptized 166 people. And so you see, there are people out there in the world that has never heard about Jesus. God's preparing somebody to go and tell them about what he has in store for their lives. So you see, the call is that God had called Paul to be a, a missionary to the Gentiles, to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And then we see in the verses that I did not read his confirmation. Nice went his way and entered the house and put his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. You see, God is confirming his call on, uh, on Saul's life over and over again. And that's the way he'll do for us. I remember when I, God called me to preach and I got enrolled at Old Howard College. Uh, they had a, a little program called H-Day. I'd never heard of it before. See, I'm a country boy from West Alabama. So I put my name on that list to preach. And I thought, man, they'll never put my name on a uh, church to preach because I'm a freshman and then nobody knows me. And so I put my name on that list. You know, I was just trying to be obedient to the Lord. I still thought he had made a mistake. Uh, you know, most of us do. We think God makes mistakes too, but he never does. And so on... On Thursday morning, I went back and went by and looked on that board, and there was my name. Paul Moore is supposed to preach. I had never preached in my life. I said, Lord, what am I going to do? And I seemed to feel his spirit saying, well, just do. Preach. And I always remember my first sermon. It's out there on that window. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 
And I, as I begin to, to pray and research, I don't know where this came from. I still don't know. I'm looking for it. I don't know where it came. Fifty-something years later, I'm still looking for the source. And the sermon outline was, I am the way. Without me, there's no going. I am the truth, and without me, there's no knowing. And I'm the life. Without me, there's no living. That was my sermon. I don't know what I said. Still don't. When I gave the invitation, a young lady came down and accepted Christ. An older lady came down and moved her letter to that church. The pastor said to me when he picked me up in the car, he said, how long have you been in the ministry? I said, about a month. He never did ask me if I'd ever preached. So standing before you today is somebody who doesn't know what he preached, doesn't know what he said, but God confirmed it. So you'll not remember what I said today, don't have within a week or two, but God is continuing to confirm it, as he did to the Apostle Paul. Then I want to just point out one final thing. In the remainder of this chapter, we find the crises in Paul's life. Paul's service and suffering started immediately. In verses 19 through 30, he covers the next three years of his life. He reiterates that in Galatians chapter 1. When Paul preached at Damascus, people were suspicious of him because he had just been saved. When he began to give testimony in Jerusalem, they they were suspicious of him. They were afraid of him. Then God took him off on a little sabbatical. Three years in the desert. I don't know what happened in the desert, but I really believe with all my heart that the Apostle Paul sat at the feet of Jesus and the Holy Spirit began to teach him. And we're the recipients of of 13 or maybe 14 of his books in the New Testament. Half of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. But it was not without crises and, and trials and tribulations in his life. You see, out of our, the trials and tribulations of our life comes that relationship with Jesus Christ that is reinforced every single day of our life. It doesn't take much of Christianity for a fellow to be a Christian when everything is going smooth, when there's a lot of money in the bank, when the family life is going well. Oh, it don't take anything at all to be a Christian then. But when, it, when the real crisis comes, when the bank account is gone and the, and the, the relationships are deteriorating in your life, if I can find where it dropped, begin to give you a lot of problems. That's when it's, the crisis comes. That's when you really find out what you're made out of. That's when you really find out how close God really is to you. Let me challenge you today. God knows what he's doing. He's calling some of you to do some things that you would not dream you're capable of doing. But he's calling you. And he's going to continue to confirm that call in your life. I have a couple of questions I want to close with. First of all, I want to ask you as humbly as I know how, 
Have you met Jesus Christ personally? Like Paul did on that day to, on his Damascus road. If you say, yes, Brother Paul, I know, I know Jesus. Let me ask you another question. Are you changing your world for the good? You just taking up space? Are you really changing the world for good? Have you been saved to sit, sour, and soak? Or have you been saved to serve and maybe to suffer for the Lord Jesus? Whatever God calls you to do, are you willing to be obedient to do it? You see, those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves every single day. I'm probably speaking to somebody here today that does not know if they died today where they would spend eternity. You don't have to go through life like that. You do not. God has made preparation for you to know unequivocally, without a doubt, whether you're going to heaven or not. In fact, the Apostle Paul, or uh, yes, the Apostle Paul tells us that we can know. And then we, we find in the, in the book of uh, John, in the, in the next to the last chapter, he says, These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, eternal life is important. And you can know. I'm probably speaking to somebody here that doesn't know that. I don't know of a better time right now than, than to settle that question once and for all in your life. You see, once you turn it over to God, he's got it. And he's never lost anybody yet. And then we need to answer that question. Are we really making a difference in our world? And if you're not, you're being disobedient to the Lord. And you need to get that right. You'll never find joy and happiness in the Christian life until you get, till you get where God wants you to go, doing what God wants you to do, when he wants you to do it. Sometimes it's not the time. And sometimes it's not the place. But are you willing to be obedient, whatever he calls you to do? That's the question that I have for you today. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, a lost man, a murderer. God changed his life and he became a missionary. How about you? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for the opportunity to just proclaim the message the message you gave me today. I pray, Father, that you might help us to know that God is still in the life-changing business. He can change our life in a split second. He can put our feet on a solid rock, on a smooth path. And Lord, you're still touching lives even today. I pray that you'll touch some lives in this building and that they might know the presence of Christ, that they might know beyond a shadow of a doubt where they're going to spend eternity. Lord, this is your invitation. It's not mine. And I pray that you'll do with that in this invitation what you desire and that you'll get the glory and the honor and the praise for what happens in our lives. And we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Thank you.